Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the everyone is injured of the podcast, ah! and I'm joined by the everyone is injured of the podcast, Tom Woodhead, ah! and finally, the everyone is injured of the podcast, ah! it's Joe Hill, and I've just completely ruined my voice joe how are you doing yeah i'm i'm okay this morning um i think the one positive that i can take is that i feel like i'm growing into the darren driver spot uh (laughs) of the introduction so much that tom's tom suggested that i'm i'm wearing my darren driver top as i'm i've come on this podcast just wearing a casual hoodie which is darren's sort of preferred clothing of choice so i feel like i'm i'm really growing into this spot now (laughs) Yeah, you're also living in a in a space that looks like Darren's loft. That's true. I think that was yeah. uh, more what Tom was pointing out. But Tom, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. It's nice to ha- finally have equality on the introductions, even if it is in the form of a primal scream. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, that has really taken a lot out of me. Um, <laughs> just before I came on, I was complaining about a sore throat, and actually, this is it's done in the world of good. Um, and uh, Tom, you're you're a man who who knows all about the the use of primal screams in art. Um, I wonder whether or not you've uh, you've ever encountered the remedial aspects of, of just screaming, opening your throat and going for it. That just sounds awful, doesn't it? Well, the trick is to s- scream from the diaphragm, John. <laughs> is that right? That's the uh, the forward rusher way. Um, <laughs> well, I'm glad I I'm glad I got your uh, your approval on that. But we cannot talk about the uh, the vagaries of the early '90s pop scene. Pop scene. Early '90s. <laughs> Early 80s. <laughs> no. When was it? Th- 2000s? Mid-noughties. <laughs> mid-noughties? Yeah. I'm, I'm miles off. Anyway, we, we can't talk about the mid-noughties uh, rock scene. Punk scene? How, do you, how did you self-define? John, this is awful. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> 
I realise that you guys are way too edgy to be <laughs> encompassed by simple genre, so I'll, I'll leave this one. But um, yeah, we something I do know a little bit more about <laughs> than music <laughs> is um, is football. Not much more, but but some. Um, and this this week we, ha- we do have to talk about Leeds versus Aston Villa on Friday. Um, a game that I think probably has changed in in our outlook given the the injuries that we have. Um, the injuries I've got written down are um so Liam Cooper obviously was supposed to play on Monday uh, got injured in the warm up which isn't really a very good sign I don't think that he's going to be ready for Friday um but we'll see um Diego Urente we assume is still injured um no doubt there's the possibility he could um he could uh have have come back from his injury that he picked up on international duty it it would be Remarkably hilarious if Diego Urente never played for Leeds because he picked up long-term injuries. Um, but let's not think about that right now. Um, Pascal Strauch got injured in the build-up to the goal, funnily enough, on Monday. And um, also Calvin Phillips got injured when he got taken out by, I think it was also Raul Jimenez. So n- not only has Raul Jimenez sunk our whole team, he's also injured two of our players. So um, that's where we're at. Um, and that's a very negative way to start the podcast. But but Tom, inject some positivity into us, please. Is there anything good that we can talk about here? Well, you can, you can never it can never be good that a lot of players are injured, can it? Um, I I sort of have a feeling that Cooper might play. Um, it, I mean, you say he got injured in the warm up. As far as I know, it was more that he was feeling an injury that he already had and thought he mm. could play through, and then decided he couldn't. So I'm sort of hope vaguely hopeful that he'll you know he'll play through the injury essentially which might be bad long term but considering the position we're in I think it might be necessary Joe how do you feel about the injury situation at the moment is it is it just really bad luck or um, were we right to say that the squad maybe is not as deep as it should be I'm not sure it would be fair to say to say that about the squad depth considering that uh, at the start of the season I was very much happy with our centre backs situation, having four and having two for each position. Um, we, I guess, Forshaw was potentially the cover for Phillips. We, we, and and I guess Stroik was as well. Um, so I think it's unlucky that you know they've all they've all happened at once. But we are recording this before Bielsa's presser, and he could well come out uh, this afternoon and say that Stroik is fine and that Cooper. Like Tom was saying, Cooper was taking it easy on Monday, but and he feels fine to play uh, on Friday. So, if that is the case, then I don't think it. I don't think it will be too bad at all because it'll just be that Stroik covers for Phillips, um, which obviously is a big loss. But our our centre back partnership, this the uh, you know the starting two will still be the same. So, all eyes on Bielsa's presser this afternoon, or I guess it would have already happened if you're listening to this. Yeah, on to. Uh, happier but also injury news um Darren was desperate that we talked about Adam Forshaw's barrow um for those of you who don't know Adam Forshaw I, th- I think it was on his Instagram or maybe his wife's Instagram uh, but he's been pumpkin picking um uh, I guess we're, we're approaching the the Halloween season um they took their son pumpkin picking and um Adam Forshaw wheelbarrowed his son and a number of pumpkins uh, across a field <laughs> which 
I, I don't know about you guys, but um, I'm extremely worried about his his future health prospects. How many? We did have a long conversation about how many months that will have set him back. Um, I'm hoping I'm hoping he's okay. Um, anyone got any any thoughts and prayers for for Adam Shaw, Forshaw, the, the artist formerly known as Adam Forshaw, I should say. <laughs> now you've said that, there's going to be some in depth analysis on how many pumpkins exactly were in that wheelbarrow and <laughs> how much they might weigh and. How uh, what the strain on his thigh muscles? Um, so we really need to look into that in great detail before we can uh, before we can say anything. Yeah, the thing is, footballers are always banned from uh, you know riding motorbikes and going skiing and stuff like that, aren't they? So maybe they don't need to relook at his contract. <laughs> yeah, he's not got pumpkin barrowing as a, as a clause in his contract. Um, and then the only other note, noteworthy thing that happened this week was that the Premier League released their um, list of uh, 25 squad members and then under-21s members um, for each club. Um, There was great joy to be had in Chelsea putting Petacek in their squad um, in the inevitable um, situation where they have to play Kepa. Um, But the the interesting aspect from Leeds United's point of view was that J. Roy Grott was... um, was on the list. J. Roy Grot, who I was hearing rumours of yesterday, is currently injured because he had a botched uh, surgery on his knee or something. So apparently won't be around for a while, but he's there. If this injury um, problem continues, you know, we can almost field J. Roy Grot in the um, in the central midfield si- system. Everyone must have some positive memories of J. Roy Grot. I know you wanted to talk about him, Tom. Well, he's just, he just, he's such an Adonis, isn't he? I remember when he first came in, I just thought, Jesus Christ, this guy is a perfect physical specimen. Um, and it was a time when we signed three strikers at about the same time. We signed Grot, Ekuban and Lasaga on loan, all within the space of a week or two. And I remember discussing with a, a mate of mine, uh, you know, which one, who's going to be the one who's, and I was like, yeah, I reckon it's going to be Grot check him like just 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 <laughs> physically he seems like he's got everything but unfortunately he didn't turn out to have anything else <laughs> mm, Caleb at Ekuban um now tearing it up in the Turkish league mm. um and looking very good um Lasoga I'm not sure where he's at probably back in Germany I suspect but um J-Roy Grot is still on the books at Leeds and is still presumably a, a physical specimen so um yeah at some point in this season if the injury uh, list continues to grow. I can tell you that uh, Pierre Marcel Lasaga is in Qatar. He's playing for <laughs> Al Arabi in Qatar. Of course he is. I can imagine him loving that lifestyle. <laughs> Bit of football in the evening, out by the pool at the weekend. Get his towel out nice and early. But yeah, the the rate that, at which our injuries are growing, I suspect that being a physical specimen will be enough to recommend you for the starting <laughs> eleven. So um, keep your eyes out for for J. Roy Grot. But we should talk about Villa um, because this is, of course, a Villa preview. And this week I was lucky enough to talk to James Rushton, who's the audience engagement producer at Reach PLC and a regular on the Claret and Blue podcast. And this is what he had to say. So, James, hi, how are you doing? I'm all good, uh, John, except for the fact I can't watch uh, Villa's uh, next game on uh, my Sky Sports or BT Sports subscription. Got to uh, shell out a few quid for it, I think, uh, Villa versus Leicester as we're recording. So, yeah, I'll be missing out today uh, by the radio. But apart from that, I'm all good. Uh, the start of the season has been fantastic. Football's back. It's strange. But, uh, yeah, enjoy myself and I hope you are as much as you can right now. So you're not going to pay for the pay-per-view then? 
Um, no, I think of the amount of um, blustering I've put out on social media, I'd be not necessarily a hypocrite if I if I paid for it, but I feel it'd be a tough sell <laughs> for me to now go out and uh, buy it. But I've uh, donated the money I would be paying. So the fourteen ninety five is going to the uh, Trussell's Trust food banks uh, in the local area. So yeah, I'll be uh, getting the live blogs up uh, from the local media and uh, of course the radio um, because I can't exactly say. I will be pirating the game <laughs> uh, live on air, but no, I will be following it uh, via different mediums this time around, which is strange, but look, I grew up in a house where we couldn't afford Sky Sports. Um, we had to listen to the game on the radio. We had to rely on the paper the next day to tell us. So look, um, it's nothing strange. It's just a bit odd in these uh, modern times. Yeah, it should be an interesting experience, shouldn't it? I also grew up in a family that never had Sky TV and... I spent a lot of my childhood listening to football mm. on the radio and uh, I have a bit of a soft spot really for radio broadcast. Yeah, for, for me it was um, it was just the radio, like we'd have the radio on, um, not like some family and just after, just after the Second World War, but like we would put a big radio set on and just listen because like uh, we'd have to go down the pub for Sky Sports and I think Villa games were the local derbies because Villa were pretty crap. Um, crapping when I first got into football so 2002 Villa were really really bad and I'm not just talking about post 2010 bad I'm talking about just useless like just may as well not exist bad they were they were terrible and um, we had the first second city derby so Villa versus Birmingham City for a, a good few years and we had to watch it in a pub and it obviously kicked off because it's um, before 2007 and I think there was a, a little it was before the 2012 Olympics I think before violence ever existed or political violence ever existed uh, in the mainstream. So we had to go to pubs and watch these games, and um, it always kicked off, so it was never good to take me as a kid down there. So it was just the radio and the paper, John. Yeah, it should be fun. Anyway, talking about Villa, you've mentioned that they were bad in the past, but when it comes to this season, that should be remarkable. Quite the start to the season. Surely it can't continue like this. Uh, I mean, I hope so. I hope we um, beat you know every team 7-2. I hope we're champions at the end of the season but look um i think i got ragged a bit on a when i went on bbc radio Leicester the other day and i, I said look it is an anom- it just it, it's a it's an outlier it sticks out and i was like surely not like is it just confidence and like look at look at, villa wouldn't have done this last season chances are they might have done it to another team like a west ham or you know i don't want to say leeds because i know this is a leeds podcast and i'll just get hammered for it but, you know a team that has just been recently promoted um for example like norwich last year um, but you know, to say yeah, we'll do it again. It was against Liverpool. It was a really odd one. It was a really strange one. But um, the fact it was that it was against Liverpool um, makes it just such a strange earlier. And I know that this season has been strange. It's thrown up a lot of strange results. It has been a season like Nova, quite like the end of last season. Um, but lucky it was a really strange one. It's not going to happen <laughs> happen every week. Um, I'd like to think we can continue in the same vein we can be confident we can be quick on the break we can be strong solid and um, have the right momentum um, but look football ebbs and flows it's a momentum game um, we just gotta ride it as hard as we can and hope it doesn't end against uh, you guys so we're recording this before the game against Leicester so far you've had a couple of games against what looks like could be relegation strugglers in both Fulham and Sheffield United you also had that 7-2 victory over Liverpool I'm not really one to talk about momentum, but it does look as though the manner in which you stayed up last season has carried you into good form in this season. How do you see this season going? Are you treating this season as a bit of a bonus? 
it's hard because when we came up um i think there was a lot of kind of pr spin put up on our promotion like we're here to stay we're not just here to take part either we're here to reward investors and shareholders and fans and people following the club by playing in style and look you can do that in the championship you can set up and whatever type of team you are you can set up to play good football you might not win every game but you can entertain if you take that risk in the premier league there's a good chance you could end up like villa which is you look good against Spurs, you look good against Arsenal, then winter hits, you get injuries and you're not winning any games and it doesn't look like a win is going to come from anywhere. So it's an important, you know, momentum is incredibly, incredibly important in football. You can get relegated purely. If you're a club of a certain size, I wouldn't say certain size because Villa and Leeds are massive, but, you know, if you're a club of a certain status and like a recently promoted team who probably doesn't have that room in the wage bill um, yet um, due to, you know, the amount of concurrent seasons you have to have in the Premier League to be able to compete um you, you know you can be relegated on bad momentum purely you could just have a really bad luck really bad injuries a really bad run of fixtures and suddenly you're not finding a win from anywhere you're not a confident team anyone you're just getting beaten around every week um villa before lockdown were that team like against leicester so again we recorded before leicester um but last time we played leicester so this was march um 2020 seems like years and years ago um but march 2020 like we looked relegated um we had pepe reina doing god knows what in goal um you know it was nil nil and he's halfway to the midfield line to clear harvey barnes's uh tracing run and then we go down to one nil and it just carries and carries on and we, we don't go get back into the game and we're humiliated and we're gone and we took risks that didn't pay off we brought Johnny, danny drinkwater into the team and he he just wasn't at the standard and, you know, fair play tried, but he wasn't at the standard. We took massive expensive risks and it wasn't in the summer transfer window we did that. It was in the January transfer window when we needed to patch up. We didn't get any quality in at all, probably bar Rainer, who wasn't necessarily that much of an improvement anyway. It was just having someone of a, a certain standard in goal. That momentum, Jan, massively important. Um, the weight changed after lockdown. We suddenly grew up, I think, a little bit. We just suddenly went... Right, we can't run at these teams with five people, six, seven people running up the pitch at these teams expecting to outscore them. We simply can't do it. We, we, we don't have the level of fitness, and not, not least the level of uh, confidence to take these teams on. Because when Villa took a team on, the other team would simply score one or two by, by the way of Villa just pushing up the pitch. Um, Villa really just went, right, we'll just give... If the other team wants the ball, we'll give it them. They can have all the ball they want. We will use our we will style in our short moments we will defend a little bit deeper we will um use our we will be have muscle in the middle of the pitch we'll use each player to the best of their capabilities and i think that really changed during locked after lockdown the way we came out probably against sheffield you know i know we got a great deal of luck but look the way we played um in games uh, there was a few outliers you look we sucked against manchester united we really did we had a really bad penalty call and it looked like we was going down against everton we fluffed our chances and we had draws uh, we, we got a draw when we should have won um but the mem- the momentum we gained from the victories against arsenal um drawing against west ham and uh winning beating crystal palace that momentum is key because it it, it said to villa look at the changes you've made have paid off like you you look good against Wolves and Chelsea you didn't get the results but then you look better and better and you, you you got the results you deserved that momentum was incredibly key there was obviously a lot of questions about Dean Smith over the course of the last season are you still happy to have him as your manager yeah yeah I, I am I think um he manages in the right way and when I, when I say that I don't mean he's you know there's not many many managers like your Bielsa who will have the same commitment to every phase 
of the game. You know, there, there's some managers like Steve Bruce who will be happy to delegate and then take the reins on match day and take the reins in the transfer window. Dean Smith is a delegator in the right way. I think he knows his weaknesses. He knows his weaknesses really, really well. And he'll delegate certain aspects to managers who he can then, who will then feed him a report. It's not like he, he doles off the task and goes, right, I don't want to hear about that. And you deal with it. He, he will get the report back and look at how he can change the process to make it work better for everyone. He's a real democratic leader at the heart of Aston Villa. He's the soul of Aston Villa. Um, I think Aston Villa and Dean Smith have found like a really good fit. And I think... There isn't many teams that find the manager that's right for them. That you know, that manager could be a five out of ten if they're managing Leeds or Sheffield United or even at Arsenal, you know, that they can just get successful in a job and move on and not be at that same level. But I feel like with yourself in and Leeds and Bielsa, you just found that perfect fit. He just embodies the identity somehow of that football club. And I feel like Dean Smith is is Aston Villa. So I am very on that level, I am very happy to have him. I think there's been a lot of weaknesses though. And I feel like these weaknesses, we shouldn't judge managers on single games. But if you look at the, the points we finished on last season and the, the teams we lost to, John, we lost to Watford um, shortly after Boxing Day. We lost to twice to Bournemouth. So, you know, three games there. You've handed your relegation rivals nine points. It, those two Bournemouth games, if Villa just perform a six out of ten, they survive. Like, if you draw those games nil-nil, Villa survive. They gave away, you know, they gave, they, they, they built Bournemouth season. Six points made such, would have made such a massive difference to Bournemouth. And then Villa gave gave them up. Because otherwise, Bournemouth would have been cut adrift a long time ago without the points Villa handed to them. Not the three points they gave Watford as well. I mean, over the course of the season, if, if Villa just didn't lose those games, that... It, you'd be talking... The, the way we reflect would be so different. I think Dean Smith probably... Got that bad hand um, by us Villa fans because you look at the season as a whole, when you're losing your five games or whatever in a row, it can look bad. But looking back on the context, three games there and you've just thrown it, three games there where you just completely thrown it away. I feel like, on the whole, Dean Smith has done a very good job at Aston Villa. I think in the little pockets of time where you can go, right, he's got to go like after the Leicester game. Um, we can judge him quite harshly, but as a whole, I think they found a really good fit, and I hope, I hope that he can kind of fix those faults that he's had in the previous seasons, where he's been too probably brave, or you might want to call it naive, um, where he hasn't known his limits, and he's trusted too much in the squad, where he's probably not had faith in certain other members of the squad. I feel like we should uh, hopefully see him fix those this season. I'd like to see a bit of growth from him uh, moving forward, but yeah, right now, very, very happy. So the transfer window is just closed fully. Are you happy with the business this summer? I think very pleased. Um, Ollie Watkins is a really good signing. I think um, he got off the mark really well. He scored in a League Cup, of course, but he got off the mark in the best possible way in the Premier League. You know, first goal he scores uh, is the precursor to a hat-trick against the champions. So, you know, we'll have to see if that continues. But he's brought a lot of good things to Villa, namely um, not just the pace, of course. I think just calling him a fast player is, is lazy. It's the complete package, the work rate, the, the attitude he takes to the game, the constant... The constant need for improvement, like he's um, he doesn't want to embarrass his past self. He was he was plucking around at um, Western Supermare FC, you know, trying to trying to get a few games there on loan from Exeter. He doesn't want to embarrass his past self. He wants to constantly achieve, and I think that's a, such a perfect attitude for him to have. Very humble, very nice, very tough to deal with on a pitch, and I feel like that is the perfect Dean Smith signing. It cost a lot of money, but I feel like um, you know he's perfect player for Aston Villa. I know Leeds were probably in for him. I think I don't want to say that you missed out, but I think you got the right deal 
with the play, I think Rodrigo, the player you signed, if you could have signed Ollie Watkins or Rodrigo, you should have signed Rodrigo because I think he would fit you more. Whereas Ollie Watkins fits us more. I don't think there's much like um, separation between them in that. Like, I don't think Ollie Watkins would have been brilliant at Leeds in the way he'd be brilliant at Aston Villa, for example. Whereas Rodrigo probably wouldn't have succeeded anyway at Aston Villa, but be a perfect fit for Bielsa's leads. I hope that's the way it turns out anyway. I hope we can both have a very happy season with our respective signings there. But likewise, I think, you know, you, you have to go for, play your best hand. I don't think any side lost out there. They got what they wanted. Um, with Villa, Ollie Watkins, fantastic. But the guy I really want to speak about, John, is uh, Emi Martinez, um, the, the ex-Arsenal keeper. The guy is just... I, I know I spoke about the mentality with uh, Ollie Watkins, but... You know, Martinez so far has left me breathless. I think I can't speak highly enough of the guy. Mentality he takes to the game, how solid he looks in goal. I hope he doesn't drop a clangor against Leeds now because it's going to make me look uh, really stupid. But Martinez has probably been the, the key signing we've made. The, the way Villa's defence look now and the way kind of he looks in goal, it's a complete turnaround from what we had without Tom Heaton. We were a disaster um, last season. We were giving up so many easy shots and so many easy chances and the fence i think tyron mings did his best and his partners did his best at the back but um without without heat and there was no leadership and i think martinez brings so much of that so look i'd have paid 30 million for him easy he's a fantastic goalkeeper and i think he's completely changed Astonville at the back uh fingers crossed that's not a precursor to him dropping an absolute clangor now <laughs> against leeds um but yeah ross barkley capped it off as well i mean we can speak about matty cash uh, Traore all day and everyone else is joined but um, Ross Barkley man um, probably gets a bad rap because he exists in kind of like this almost quote unquote prehistoric era of the Premier League where it's like 2013 to 2016 before it got fully rebranded and uh, before Villa dropped out um, he kind of just existed in this space of time where he was really good and no one took that great notice of him where I think he got a rough deal because of that move to Chelsea where he's probably more of a a fringe player and uh, you know injuries and whatever and people choosing other players over him but look Ross Barkley the way you speak about Ross Barkley uh, when he was breaking through should have been the way we were speaking about Jack Grealish right now and I feel like Villa have done really well I mean, I mean they're paying a lot of money for him but I feel like they've done really well to get him and I feel like a midfield of you know Douglas Louise, John McGinn and Ross Barkley is just it, it's up there it's, I, I don't want to kind of over promote it but I'd say that is just such a wonderful signing for, for a club of Villa stature um, to have made. Let's talk a little bit about the tactics. Where would you say that Dean Smith's Villa are tactically at the moment? How do they look to set up? I feel like, again, um, before it was very much a case of, look, if you score five, we'll score six. If you score three, we'll score four. There's there too much intent on the attacking side, and I think that was brought up very well by... Um, I forgot his name. I think it might have been David Anderson who covers um, Brentford. And he said, look, um, Dean Smith at Brentford, very attacking team, very stylish team. There's just so much frailties here defensively that, you know, he has to be brought up. And how Thomas Frank, the guy he took over um, after Dean Smith succeeded. And that's interesting because, again, it goes back to Smith's delegation. There's a lot of delegation there to Thomas Frank. And I think the overall vision, very much Dean, Dean Smith's, where he's trying to, you know... Uh, attack and lead on the front foot all the time but yeah the, it, again now I think it's a bit more realistic I think Craig Shakespeare he's, he's asking Craig Shakespeare the assistant head coach a bit more he's asking John Terry of course the assistant head coach a bit more Richard O'Kelly about their ideas and uh, the, the, again the lockdown period it was changing the way the team played bringing a bit more of a mid-block and trying to press really high up the pitch um, 
creating a bit more, you know, creating the pressing triggers that didn't over rely on the team, it overextended themselves. And they've been a bit more realistic about where they are and who they are and the players they've got. I think the idea that they brought in Ross Barkley and um, Bertrand Traore and Watkins shouldn't delude them into the problems they had last season. I think they're realistic, you know, they're realistic about who they are. They probably aren't as adventurous as Leeds, I'd say, um, but they're kind of they're, they're in that same boat um, as Leeds. I feel like they are an attacking team. They they want to be a stylish team. But Aston Villa, they've, they've been, they were found out last season and uh, they're a bit more realistic now. Looking through your games so far this season, it looks as though you've exclusively played some form of a 4-3-3. Do you think Dean Smith is going to stick with this throughout the season or do you think there's going to be any tweaking along the way? Uh, he's not going to tweak it at all. Um, there'll be there'll be minor, minor tweaks. But look, the way we've played since we started has always been kind of the way we played bar the change after lockdown. We had a 4-3-3 with some minor variations here and there. Um, then we went to kind of three at the back um, with leaning towards two up front. Um, we played two up front at a point during lockdown um, when we were kind of testing out this new look Villa side. But it's usually always been 4-3-3 and some mi- or a minor, minor variation on that. Uh, I don't see him tweaking it. It will likely be 4-3-3 against Leeds again. Um, but what I would say is I'd place... Um, place a lot more importance on the kind of the roles the players play more so than the number in the formation um because that three could be free it wouldn't be but it would be it could be free kind of defensive midfielders rather than the variation that louise mcginn and barkley would provide but yeah john it's absolutely gonna be a four three three well let's talk about that midfield then because last season jack Grealish was played as a deeper midfielder at times um He's obviously been given more freedom now playing on the outside of a front three. What do you think the, the midfield is going to look like for you guys to, for the rest of the season? I think um, Jack Grealish is probably more than likely going to be playing on the outside. So he plays on the wing now, but I wouldn't call him a winger or a wide midfielder. He kind of does what he wants. It's a bit of a free roll, um, but he he kind of imbalances other teams. He drags a, a lot of attention to his side and it frees up. It, it, you know, it freed up Frost Barkley a lot against Leeds. Usually frees up the striker. Usually frees up John McGinn as well. Um, so I don't see him coming into the middle. Um, as for his best position, uh, I'm not too sure. I feel like on the the wing he's really effective for Villa. Um, he's far more effective for Villa on the wing because he's dragging a lot of attention to the other side of the pitch and just creating a kind of an imbalance for the middle to succeed, or I don't know the quote unquote weaker players in the middle to succeed. Um, but the freedom outside, I think for Villa, that's his best position. Maybe for the national team or another team. I don't want to think about Grealish moving to another team. But um, oh, he should be playing in the middle and he should be the focal point. Um, Villa's focal point is quite imbalanced because a lot of the ball's going to him. He's an out ball um, for Villa. So, yeah, um, he, it's his best position for the time being. And how much does Villa playing well equate to Jack Grealish playing well? Should Leeds target Grealish to try and stymie Villa in any sense? One of the games I remember Leeds uh, being incredibly successful in was when Calvin Phillips was did a did a marking job on um so this was the the infamous game the fair play game uh, where Calvin Phillips did a did a job on Grealish he, he followed him across the pitch probably get a, a few cheeky kicks in here here or there annoyed him with his you know physical presence and you know annoyed him by tracking him across the pitch because that's you know Calvin Phillips is an exceptionally good job and what he does really well and that's not necessarily the dark arts of football but. His position in the way he follows the player and the way he tracks a player, he, he's quite an intimidating presence, especially if um, I didn't have the abilities of Grealish. I'd be very worried about being marked and tracked by uh, Calvin Phillips. Um, but yeah, you should absolutely target him. Um, the one thing I would say is 
last season, it probably would have affected more Villa more than this season because, look, the way I would rate Ross Barkley is, is almost as high as Grealish. The way I'd rate John McGinn is almost as high as Grealish. You can't forget about that two-pronged attack in the middle now because McGinn's an incredibly, except you know, he's an incredibly effective player, and Ross Barkley is an incredibly effective player. So I feel like Villa. Look, if if Bertrand Traore is playing on the other wing, he could be a really surprising threat. So I feel like you can't. The only way to deal with Grealish is to commit bodies to him. But now you have to kind of worry about the threat that Villa have, possibly on the other flank, possibly up front, and possibly in the middle. They didn't have that last season. If you stopped Grealish last season, and it was quite hard to do so. Some teams could. Leeds did it again. Like we reflect on that fair play game, Leeds did it quite well. Um, but yeah, you should target him. You should try and stop him. But you cannot forget about the possible threat elsewhere. So we've talked about the midfield. Beyond that, how do you think Villa will set up against Leeds? What will their lineup be? So it should be um, injuries. Uh, I don't know what will happen in this Leicester game if uh, hopefully Tyron Mings or Ezekons are uninjured. Um, but it will be Martinez in goal. It will be um, a back four. So you've got Matty Cash on the right. You'll have Matty Target on the left um, flying up the flanks. Uh, Tyron Mings bossing it at the back, hopefully, um, alongside Esri Konsa. Then you've got Douglas Louise as a the, the deep lying midfielder. Uh, a little bit ahead of him, it'll be McGinn. Uh, and at the top of that, it will be uh, Ross Barkley. On the left, you'll have Grealish, of course. On the right, you should have Trezeguet. Uh, I don't know if Bertrand Troyer will be starting unless he really succeeds uh, coming off the bench against Leicester, because I assume he'll be coming off the bench against Leicester. Uh, up front, of course, it'll be Ollie Watkins. We're quite rigid with that at the moment. I expect it will change throughout the season, depending on the little tweaks here and there, finding out things about players. Um, any signings we make in January, stuff like that will change it. But for now, it'll be pretty much what it says on the tin. How's the international break treated you? Are you missing anyone? No, we was a bit worried about Grealish, though, because I think he had a, a wrapping on his shin or leg against Wales, and he looked like he took a knock against Wales. But as far as the injury report is... Uh, uh, bar any outstanding injuries of course to Tom Heaton and Wesley I think we're, we're all good for now One of the questions I always ask when we get opposition fans on the show is which of your players need to play well in order for you to beat Leeds I guess you're going to say Jack Grealish but what are the players that you think need to do well for Villa to get something out of this game? I think the most important player is obviously going to be Grealish but look again going back to the previous question you can't ignore the threat in the middle and especially up front. I think Ollie, if Ollie Watkins has a good game, it'll be quite tricky for Leeds to uh, to deal with Villa because they're going to have to concentrate on all areas of the pitch. And I assume they would. They're, they're a well, a exceptionally well-drilled team. Um, but look, if Ollie Watkins performs well, Villa should be able to get some kind of result if, even if he had to draw out of the game. I never ask for predictions on this show. Feel free to offer one if you want. What I do ask is, how do you see the flow of the game going? How do you think that it will unfold as we watch it? I really do expect it to kind of be like a, a bit of a basketball game, if I'm honest, with both teams just creating a lot of scoring chances. I don't think Leeds, Leeds are not the type of side to really sit back against a team like Villa. And again, Villa will be looking at Leeds in the exact same way. that They'd see it as like they won't be looking at Leeds uh, as, you know, the the big club they are or the, the you know the the team they'll be looking at them as recently promoted team you, and you, the team they should be taking three points off so I don't expect them to uh to drop deeper unless the leads really force force them to um I expect it will be uh, an entertaining affair hopefully for the neutral uh, when I ever whenever I say that John it, it, it's a nil nil um I do expect it to be really entertaining I expect the best team to win hopefully hopefully there'll be no like stupid drama 
like last time uh, we played. Uh, hopefully it'll be a really fair match and we will be speaking about result more than anything that occurs off the pitch or even on the pitch ball when the ball stops. I really hope it's a fair game and um, that it highlights the, the, the abilities of these two teams because they're two underrated teams and they're two fantastic teams. And I really hope, um, I know it's before the eyes of the watching public on a Friday night, I really hope it gives everyone a chance. Uh, I, I hope that Leeds can uh, stake their claim um, to be more than a recently promoted team and uh, push up the table without that affecting Villa's results because I want Villa to get three points. Well, James, it's always a pleasure to chat to you. What is the best way for our listeners to follow what you're doing on social media? Um, so you can just find me at Jamer Rushton or at Claret Blue Pod, which is the podcast to help run. Uh, with a Birmingham mail. Well, as I said, it's always a pleasure. I hope you enjoy the game on Friday. Cheers, man. Thank you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So that was James Rushton, an audience engagement producer at Reach PLC and a regular on the Claret and Blue podcast. Uh, Joe, what did you make of that? It was interesting to hear about the trajectory that that Villa have sort of gone through after being promoted. Um, James is sort of saying... You know, they used to try and outscore the opponent and that that led to defensive frailties and now they're sort of a more realistic mid-block team. I thought that was really interesting that they've sort of had this change of style um, and also that they were sort of overly reliant on Grealish in their first promoted season. Um, and now with the addition of Barkley and a couple of the others that he mentions, um, that they're a bit of a stronger side and... It was it was really interesting to hear about that from a from an inside point of view because I guess I sort of still thought that they were overly reliant on Grealish, but um, I guess in these first few games, Barkley has sort of proved uh, that he has got that he has got something and that he can be another addition in that area. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because with Villa, they, they were just so close to going down, 
I mean, not only not only were they almost mathematically condemned to going down, and they had to pull off a result against I think it was at Arsenal or something late on in the season. They also had that ghost goal, the the goal that was given that wasn't a goal, wasn't given that was a goal against Sheffield United, and it's just remarkable, isn't it, that you know the exigencies of just pure fate there have meant that they've gone from being in the Championship to being top of the Premier League. It's 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 like one of those Leicester City moments, really, but. Um, yeah, Tom. How about you? What did you What did you pick up from from what James had to say? Well, the main thing I picked up on was that um, he's planning to listen to it on the radio, and I would say, why? Just pirate it. That's what I'm going to do. Um, <laughs> and these are not the views of all stats, aren't we? But I would advise everyone: t- no one should be paying the fourteen pound ninety five, and everyone should pirate the game. Uh, that's <laughs> that's the first thing. Um, yeah, uh, Villa are an interesting team, aren't they? Uh, as you said, it, it, it does seem like they've really sensibly. Uh, added to the squad and made it better over the summer. Um, I know we're going to talk about that soon, anyway. But it, it does look like a they look like a good team now with a really solid base and a a, a clear way of playing. And um, yeah, I think I think they can be hopeful of a you know a sol- solid mid table finish at least, like with the team they've got together. We need to talk about the the start of the season. Um... It's a strange situation because when I spoke to James, it was before the Leicester game. And at that point, they'd only had three games because their first game, I think, was supposed to be against City. And that was um, postponed because of the Champions League running on. Um, so they've played they played three. But they've, they've had two against two of the weakest teams in the league in Fulham and Sheffield United, at least according to the way that the league has gone so far. Um, and then I guess you can write off the Liverpool result at that point as a as an outlier. But then um, they've picked up that result of the weekend against Leicester. Now again, I've, I've watched that game, and it was it was. I mean, Villa looked looked fine. Leicester didn't look particularly dangerous. Um, and in the end, they sort of scored a late goal from miles out. But um, at the same time, you've got to get to a point where where you've got to you, you can't think of Villa as being relegation candidates this season, surely. Um, so how do we feel about Villa's start to the season, Tom? I must admit, I don't think I've watched them for a full 90 minutes this season, but the bits that I've seen, they look um, just, uh, as as uh, James was saying in the interview, uh, they just seem a lot more multifaceted than they did last season when everything kind of went through Grealish. And uh, the addition of Barkley especially seems to added, have added an extra dimension to their attack. And I think having John McGinn back is a massive thing as well, because I think he was injured for a lot of last season, wasn't he? And I remember him being a great player in the championship. So... Um, I, I, yeah, they, they, I'm sure they won't. You know, they're obviously not going to win every game, but you know, you you do need to win those games against Fulham and Sheffield United. And you know, as Leeds yeah. fans, if we hadn't won our games against Fulham and Sheffield United, we wouldn't have won any games. So you know, you, you have to commend them for doing that and then adding to it. Yeah, and I guess that at the same time, no one is expecting Villa's um, current run to continue. I think they've they've scored 12 goals so far from about 7 XG, so they're nearly running double their XG, which is, uh, I don't think anyone would disagree, that is um, just, it's just unrealistic to expect that kind of um, form to continue. Yeah, I, th- I think that Liverpool game presumably massively yeah. adds to that because th- the three of the goals were wild deflections, weren't they? So. Yeah, I, I don't know what the XG for that game was, but it, I'm, I'm I'm sure it probably wasn't much higher than about three. So I think I remember reading it was about 3.5, something like that. Right, yeah. So they've picked up about three, two and a half XG over performance there. Um, so yeah, we'll 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 um we'll see how um that that um run of of form continues, but um there's there's surely no way that they're going to continue at that. P- 
pace. Um, Joe, how how do you rate Villa right now? Is it just a case that you know we're probably uh, erring on the side of overrating them and underrating them? I would say so. Yeah, I think that I think Tom's right. And you know the the Liverpool game was an outlier. Three of them were huge deflections. One of them was a gift um, from uh, Adrian. Um, Liverpool just played terribly. That was just an awful performance from them. Um, so obviously, you know, you can't read into that too much. And I don't think James was James was reading into that too much on the preview. I think he was mm. pretty level-headed about that being an outlier. Um, and then the result against Leicester that it probably could have been a draw quite easily, could have been a nil-nil draw. And then Barkley, Barkley had a, a good shot on target and it went in. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think they can keep it up. And obviously the longer that they that they do keep winning... The almost the more likely it is that they eventually break that streak. You know, mm. I think that four. You know, if they beat us, that'll be five wins in a row, and sh- surely it can't go on much longer than that. So, I think I don't think they are going to be uh, in a relegation scrap in the same way as they were last year mm. because there are teams that look far worse at this stage of the season. Um, but I'm not I'm not insanely worried. You know relative to their position in the table I, I don't see them as a as a second place team you know yeah we talk about game state a lot in on this podcast and and obviously game state is you know and that happened for Villa against Liverpool they went up a few goals very early on and then obviously from that point on that just sort of changes the whole tenor of the game and Liverpool probably just sort of accepted that they were going to lose and probably just relaxed a little bit but there's also something like league state I think as well which is uh, the higher up the league you are early on the 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 more the pressure is off for you and it can sort of change the way that you approach the rest of the season so I've no doubt that, that a good start regardless of how um how it it is perhaps overrated per underlying numbers I'm sure that good start will still be um will suit them well and, and will allow them to relax and will allow them to, to you know, the, the pressures off of them. I mean, even looking at this game on on Friday, they, they, they'll they just see it as a, as a free hit and they'll know that we've got a lot of injuries and they'll probably come out with, with a fair amount of positivity with an expectation they'll get something from the game. Um, but it will be interesting to see how their, their season unfolds, certainly. Um, let's talk about the tactics. How do we feel about Villa tactically? Um, I've, watched, I've watched all of their games, actually, this season. Um, through partly because um, I was I really wanted to understand what tactics they were playing um, but yeah it's, it's it's fascinating stuff they they tended to play a, a 4-3-3 um, they were playing Grealish a little bit deeper in previous seasons but they're now playing them on the outside of a front three and um, they're actually quite a high pressy team I mean I say that they they do sit into a mid block a lot of the time but they're happy to press high in certain situations um, but they're also happy to to come to sit a little bit deeper and have the two wide attackers um, drop in alongside their midfielders um, you'll probably see Jack Grealish on the edge of his own box quite a bit um, which I I was impressed with you know he's he is a creative player but he's happy to get back and help out defensively um, and then Grealish himself actually gives them that huge creative edge and a lot of their attacking players is based around trying to get Grealish on the ball and I think what Grealish does so well is he, he just gets he just one he wins fouls um, at a just a remarkable rate um, and that's a combination of like him being just in, in, insanely good on the ball but also um, he 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 also knows how to game the system, and he, he wins fouls that way. And between those two things, you know, if you've got decent um, 
set piece players than and and Jack Grealish winning free kicks on the edge of the box as he does then um then you're on to a bit of a winner um and then the other thing is that he's, he's so good on the ball he just gets into the box and as soon as he's in the box it's and and they over they start overloading and they can they get a lot of good goals just sort of from from working their way into the box from the edges and um and the ball falling to someone like uh, Ross Barkley patrolling at the edge of the box and it just popping out from as well so they're a really tough prospect to to face um particularly when you take into account what we've been saying about Leeds against Wolves, where you know once the man marking system is is sort of beaten, you you see players sort of running one on one on at speed uh, opponents, and uh, the prospect of Jack Grealish doing that and and having Villa sort of pushing high and and looking to create chances is is a little bit of a of a scary one. But anyone, let's talk about the tactics. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how much you guys have watched of Villa. I wouldn't blame you for not watching that much of them but has anyone got any thoughts on on the tactics of, of Villa? I think Leeds's defensive system um, might might bode well for us in that the the man marking thing um, could could go well we see we've seen it with Calvin Phillips um, just doing a job on Jack Grealish last uh, mm. was it last season uh, the season before last um, in the fair play game and I think you know it has potential that Stroik or whoever's in that role can do a similar job. I think they absolutely have to play well for Leeds, whoever plays in the CDM role. Um, but it can be said that a man-marking job on Grealish could could break the whole game down and could mm. break down Aston Villa's whole outlet and creativity. The thing is, it would be whoever's playing on our right wing, yeah. right, rather than whoever's playing in central midfield, who would have to mark well, him this true, time, because yeah. I presume he was playing in the middle back in that uh, fair play yeah, game. Yeah, he was. Um, so, so, so this is one of the next questions that I've got. I mean, we, we've, I, I've asked how do we approach them tactically. Um, we can talk about we can talk about their, how we account for their high, high-ish press and high-energy stuff, but Jack, the Jack Grealish problem is an interesting one. I mean, you could feasibly have Calvin Phillips um, rip as his as his marker, I think, even as a, as a wide player, because he's quite fluid and moves around quite a bit. But I suspect, as Tom says, that we probably see Luke Ayling. You know, we've seen Luke Ayling do that sort of job before where he, he follows... Um, a, a sort of fluid left winger, let's call him, uh, around. So he did it with Sadio Mane. Um, we saw a bit of it uh, against Wolves with with Pedence and, and Neto as well. Um, I do think that's that that is going to be really a, a really interesting battle if we can um, keep Grealish quiet because, like you said, the last time we played, Grealish was playing as like an eight in a double pivot. Um, so he was sort of further away from the get goal. Um, in I think a, a less dangerous position than than he is when he's in a wide position so yeah how do, how do we feel about that that issue then and um, if if he is playing in the wide left area um do we do we just expect Luke Ayling to be the one who covers him and um if it is Pascal who's marking him how do we feel about that as well Tom I'd, I'd be perfectly comfortable Ayling handling him I think Ayling out of all our defenders is even probably even included in Dallas is someone that I don't that I like him tracking players across the pitch and then if he recovers the ball being in unexpected areas and he I think he's a, an intelligent user of the ball in terms of what he does after he gets the ball back as well um, and I, so I think he's very well suited to you know popping up in unexpected areas after just disp- dispossessing the opponent in that regard um, if it ends up being strike which I don't think it will because as far as I can tell, Grealish has been playing on the wing all season. Um, 
that, that that's one thing I'm not quite sure about with a strike. He, he, and I don't mean that as a negative. I mean I genuinely am not sure. He he always looks very good on the ball. I'm not sure that we've really seen him have to do that sort of really critical man marking job yet when he's played in that role. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, from the games he played there last season. Um, they were mostly quite low pressure games apart from, was it Barnsley that he played? Uh, and it was much more high pressure. But again, Barnsley played a 4-4-2, didn't they? So it was a bit of a, there wasn't that sort of um, central attacking player in the same way that, that uh, you know, that Grealish was when he did it, when uh, Phillips did a job, a job on him. So that's an interesting thing with Strike, whether I'd like to see that whether he's because sometimes it seems like his main weakness is his lack of agility on the turn. And if you're marking someone really tight, then that can be a big problem if they manage to slip away from you. And I guess we should talk about the worst case scenario as well, because I feel as though if all of the players are injured that could be injured, we're going to have Ailing probably playing as a right centre back um, and then Cock as a left centre back and then presumably Dallas as a as a right back so then it would be Dallas playing up against Grealish how do we feel about that Tom I think that'd be okay as well I I I think one thing we know about Dallas is that he'll stick to his task and he doesn't switch off um certainly out of possession I don't think his brain switches off he he sticks to what he's doing so that wouldn't hugely bother me either it'd be more the knock-on effects on the rest of the team that that would be a problem there because I, I really then who do who do we then play as in the Calvin role because Dallas would be one of the options, right? And I, I know none of us particularly like the idea of him playing there, but who else would play there? Have we ever seen Dallas playing as like an out-and-out CDM? I don't I, I don't think we have, which is why when people assume that that's what's going to happen, I'm a little bit sceptical <laughs> of it. Because I Honestly, because we see him play as an eight uh, sometimes, and I think he can do that because the range of passing you need for that role is not as vast as the range of passing that you ideally need for that central defensive midfield role. Yeah. And... Um, I think even Dallas's biggest fans would not say that, you know, he's an excellent passer, long-range passer of the ball. So, I mean, it almost makes me think that maybe we'd drop click back there and uh, play uh, either Shackleton or Alioski in midfield, because as Bielsa has been talking of Alioski as a eight. Yeah, no, I think you're right. <laughs> and that absolutely terrifies me. The thing is, when you, when you have shitloads of injuries, there are always going to be problems, no matter how good your squad is I think it's it's very unlucky that we've managed to have all these injuries in the exact same area of the team you know mm. if it had been one of the wingers who got injured it'd be basically fine this reminds me of that goggle, goggle box meme <laughs> where it's like well we always know that you're gonna have to move players around with injury and it's like yeah but not fucking Alioski in central midfield Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah we'll see well we'll talk about the injuries in a little bit <laughs> oh dear this is really not doing a lot for my for my health but um Let's talk a little bit about then the high press, because um, I think this is something that that I do think is interesting because they 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 do have a really high energy press. I think that they'll they I think they they actually out energy a lot of teams, which is quite interesting. Obviously, they they sort of did Liverpool with with the high line, but um, I feel as though in terms of actual gameplay, they they do break the game down quite a lot. They they put in a lot of tackles, they put, in, put up a lot of pressure and then they, they also sort of look for fouls themselves and so I expect the game will be quite bitty on Friday. I expect it will be very stop-start. I expect the fan base to be absolutely livid at Jack Grealish um, every time he goes down. Um, 
And I wonder whether or not we think there will be this. This is a sort of game style that will suit us. Whether or not you think that, for example, the our our ability to play through through a high press or a mid press um, will actually just mean that we get at Villa's defence a little bit more. And this is one of the things I've noticed um, against the weaker teams that they played. Villa don't actually do a lot of defending um, per their defenders because um, the the usually they put so much pressure on in the midfield areas that that the that the defence aren't really in. Um, a, a huge amount of, of of sort of classic defensive situations. Um, so, Joe, how do you feel about that aspect of, of the game? Do you think it, it would be nice to play against a team who are going to push a little bit higher, maybe come a little bit stronger? And if we can play through that press, then we'll be presented with some dangerous attacking uh, moments, especially after Monday, where we, we just came up against a tour de force in uh, a deep block. Yeah, of course, it's nice to play against teams that, that want to come out and want to attack. And I think that that's something that leads. Uh, that's a situation that leads really thrive in. Um, is you know we've seen it against City, we've seen it against Liverpool. When teams come out to attack us, you know we c- we can just bypass the press, or you know we just seem to switch on, and we just seem to be a lot better than watching one of these standard sort of Championship games where they're they're packing eleven behind the ball, and and you know we just have to break them down. Um, I think you're you're right about the Leeds fan base being livid against uh, Jack Grealish I think uh, I'm already quite angry at him just just <laughs> thinking about it absolutely when you when you mentioned earlier that he just he wins a lot of fouls and I was just rolling my eyes because I just I just thought oh he's a diving bloody bastard <laughs> you know all the pundits seem to say oh he, he's he's the most fouled player in the Premier League I remember that stat last year and they were all praising him for it and I just thought no it's just because he's a diver that doesn't make him any good but yeah so I think it's going to be quite a quite a bitty game I think they're going to be looking for fouls and actually that was one of the things that did lead to um the in the in the fair play game that did sort of tip that game over the edge was that um Cooper allegedly fouled uh I can't remember who it was one of their players um in the center circle and then that led to us scoring so I think you know there there could be lots and lots of little fouls, and it could be breaking the game down into lots of short periods of play. And actually, I think it would benefit Leeds just to maintain their composure. It might be that not having the fans there is is good in a way because we don't we don't feel the hostility and we don't get too angry and just maintain their composure and do what we do best, which is just playing playing nice football, nice quick passing. And I think we can get through the press that way and, like you say, get out of their defence and hopefully create a good few chances for ourselves. I do have a section on Leeds' injury issues, but I do think I do feel as though we've covered them and I don't have any interest in yeah. talking about them anymore. <laughs> so let's talk about the, the wider squad selection then. How do we see um, the rest of the squad um, lining up? So I guess that's um, who will be starting up front and who will be playing on the wing, Tom. I think it'll be exactly the same as it has been uh, with Harrison and... Costa, Bamford up front, um, uh, Rodrigo in midfield again, probably. And, you know, the rest of it is all dictated by injuries, isn't it? So mm. uh, it's very much as you were, but else is not going to change anything for the sake of it. In terms of the um, the, the guys who came in on Monday, uh, Jan Paveda and uh, Rafinha came on as well. Would you like to see uh, a little bit more of maybe Rafinha on, on um, Friday night? Definitely. I mean, he, he looked decent enough in the eight minutes that he had. Um, but I do like that he brought on Paveda before Rafinha because I think it's important that 
you know, if Perveda's working hard in training and doing the right things, that he is rewarded for it and not immediately cast aside when we get something a bit more expensive and shiny. And um, but yeah, I mean, I, I what I'm interested in is is whether Rafinha can play on the left wing. I've talked about that on this podcast before, and I think that is where he came on against Wolves, isn't it? So I'm interested to see if we have a legitimate viable alternative to Harrison there because. Harrison was really off it against Wolves for me and to have someone that we could swap out quite early on if he is having a bad game would I think it would add a lot to um, it would really sort of change the tenor of certain games I think where we're just not getting what we need from Harrison yeah and I think it'd be nice to see Rafinha get a run out against a team that might be a little bit more open in the in the wing back area um, so yeah I'm looking forward to seeing um, him have a run out this is a question that I always a- uh, ask <laughs> which players are we expecting good performances from in order for us to beat Villa um, I think this question has a whole new um, valence given that the <laughs> half of the players will have to play well for us to survive um, given the given the injury issues but um, Joe which players do you think we need to have playing well for us to do okay against Villa I think no matter where he plays, I think Click will have to have a good game, um, whether that's at CDM or whether that's standard sort of number eight, um, because you know he, he's one of our most consistent players. Um, he's, he normally, you know, doesn't doesn't do anything outstanding, doesn't do anything crazy, but he just keeps everything ticking over. And if if he is expected to drop deep into the CDM role, then he's really going to have to be on it. Um, it's 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 actually quite a good situation that we have so many great attacking options. Um, that maybe is one positive to take from you know, this mini injury crisis is that we have plenty of attacking options. So um, I'm not sure. Like Tom says, if Harrison has a bad game, then you know he can come off at half time um, for Rafinha or for Paveda and do do some switching around up there. So I think it's mostly the defence. I think we're looking for the players that are going to be in unusual positions or positions that they don't necessarily play in every single week, they're going to be the ones that are really going to have to step up. And then hopefully the the many, many attacking options that we have can can just sort of do their normal jobs and, and play well. Yeah. How about you, Tom? Yeah, I think whoever plays in that central defensive midfield role, the Calvin role, um, whoever it is, I think that's going to be very important. Um, and also Bamford, I think if we're going to be trying to play through their press, it's very important that Bamford's going to be able to hold the ball up when he gets it and uh, you know deliver it to one of the wingers or whoever's rushing beyond him. So yeah, I'll be looking for a good performance from him as well. The question then is, how do we see the game unfolding? And I think this is a really tough one to, to really call, um, given the, the injury uh, situation, but also the fact that we, we it, it's still quite hard, I think, to judge where Villa... Are at where their level level is at. So, yeah, Tom, how do you expect the game to unfold on Friday? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. This it, it's a weird one, Villa, because that that Villa game that we talked mentioned a few times in this podcast, the uh, the fair play game, it was had one. Of, I mean, I wasn't at the match, but it had one of the weirdest atmospheres for me uh, of any Leeds game I've ever watched. Like, because we just confirmed that we couldn't go up automatically, uh, essentially, and. Uh, and yet there was this sort of weird needle to the game, like like we were re- trying really hard to prove that we weren't finished. Um, and it almost like felt, I felt like I was watching it like slightly removed from my body because it was such a surreal experience for the entire game. So it'll be nice to finally put that one to bed at least. Um, in, in, ter- in terms of the actual game flow and how it's going to go, um, it could be a bit like, uh, it feels like the games where we do get pressed early uh, high, um, 
they're usually quite chaotic for the first 15, 20 minutes while we're figuring out exactly what, what we need to do to um, counter that press. So I'm expecting a chaotic first, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes. How about you, Joe? How are you uh, seeing the game sort of uh, happening? I can't quite decide, actually, because uh, James on the opposition view said that he expects it to be a bit of a basketball game. Um, and I can't quite decide whether I agree or not because I was looking at Villa's uh, stats and they had 35% possession against Fulham where they won 3-0 and 30% against Liverpool, um, which was obviously 7-2. Um, so there's been a couple of games where they've really not had much possession at all. Uh, I think against Leicester it was a bit more 50-50. Um so that would sort of suggest to me that we're going to we're going to dominate the ball it's going to be another sort of 70-30 um i think it really depends on our on our squad um i think like you say villa will villa will know um what injuries we have by the, by that point and if it's a, a just mismatch of players that haven't played together in the back four or back five then i think villa will come out at us a bit more and make it a bit more of a basketball game um, if Cooper is playing and Stroik is in the CDM role, I, I sort of expect us to dominate possession a bit more and Villa probably look for those small moments to uh, let Grealish and Barkley just get their creativity on. Yeah, it's interesting what you're saying about possession because I, like I say, I've watched the Fulham game and I thought Fulham caused them a lot of problems. Like Fulham, Fulham actually quite a good build-up team in the early build-up phases. Um, the problem is, is that they're not very creative in the final third. Um, but also, both the Fulham game and the Liverpool game um, were were sort of game stated in the sense that I think they were they were about two two nil up after about sixteen minutes against Fulham, and they were three nil up against Liverpool in about sixteen minutes. So I wonder whether or not maybe that's um, skewed the, the the possession stats a little bit. But I do think I do think you're right. I think that. Um, this is going to be a question of of us dominating versus them being efficient and clinical in front of goal uh, because they just are they're so brutally efficient at the moment and you, you know look you can't you can't account for that there's nothing to say that they'll be efficient on Friday they could have a really terrible performance in front of goal for all we know um, and that could be the difference between them scoring two or three or not scoring at all um, I think that's probably a reality with with most most teams, but I think with with Villa maybe a little bit more when you have players like uh, Barkley and and Grealish as your creative um, outlets who are just going to take take maybe more difficult shots than than other teams will try, and sometimes it will come off and sometimes it won't. But I do think that we I, th- I think you're right. I think it will be a, a game where it will be us dominating possession and 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 them sort of looking to break quickly looking to to sort of stymie us by by just keeping pressure on um in the mid mid block areas and just stop the ball from getting through to their defense as much as possible um but it should be a it should be an interesting game it's a shame really that that we're going to be so blighted by injuries because i think full full squad against full squad it'll be a really interesting matchup but that's not to say i don't think it will not still be a, an interesting matchup but i do think it changes things uh, to a certain extent so there you have it that's um the all stats aren't we preview for the aston villa game keep an eye out for a tactics thread i'm going to start um working on that uh, this afternoon when i have the time so hopefully that will be out tomorrow um 
we've also just put out our review podcast for the Wolves game, um, given it happened two days ago. So do make sure you check that out as well. Um, no doubt you probably will have listened to that before this, but if you haven't, do check it out. Um, and then finally, if you do like our content and want to get more, then why not check out our Patreon site? Our Patreon is a subscriber platform that allows us to put out bonus content for our listeners. So we've got um, extra video analysis we've got extra podcasts and we've got extra written stuff over there as well and we're also building a quite nice community over there so why not head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we and and check it out three people who have done that are hamza tafsi grant and patrick o'shea um and that brings us to the end of the podcast we'll be back on sunday with a review episode i think um but until then um all that remains for me to do is to say thank you tom thank you and thank you joe Cheers. And enjoy the game on Friday. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.